Welcome to this new episode of Becoming a Post-Growth Planner, Challenges and Obstacles to Changing Roles and Practices. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Gavin Daly, joining in from uh, Liverpool. Gavin, welcome. Thanks for having me, Christian. It's a real pleasure to be here and to be invited onto the podcast um, and the opportunity to chat through my, my work with you. Uh, you have a very special background because you are actually coming from practice to think about post-growth. Can you give us an insight about your background? Yeah, well, look, it's great. To, I mean, as I said, it's great to be here on the opportunity. Um, I mean, I've been listening to your podcast and congratulations to you guys on, guys on, on, this, on this podcast. It's a really great project and really timely given um, what's going on in the world. And it's, it's also been really useful, inspirational for me to listen to other scholars and um, working across Europe and North America with thinking about post-growth planning. So, um, so I, my name is Gavin Daly. I'm, a, I'm from Ireland. I'm a PhD researcher at the University of Liverpool, uh, studying in degrowth, post-growth planning. Um, I also work for the European Spatial Planning Observatory Network. So the acronym was ESPON uh, in Luxembourg, and uh, where we study spatial planning and territorial systems all across Europe. So uh, I have a background in planning consultancy. I was a former minister, ministerial advisor to the Irish Minister for spatial planning and climate change. Um, so I've worked in consultancy in private practice, mostly on renewable energy, on commercial development, um, and um, also have a background in activism in climate change, biodiversity, um, water quality issues, particularly as they interrelate with the planning system. Great. So quite some insights. Uh, which observations did you make in practice that brought you to really challenge uh, the issues of growth and to see the adverse effects and uh, that made you then really think that uh, you want to explore something different and you haven't you? Well, I think for me, when I, I, I started working as a planner in the early 2000s, having graduated from, from the University of Newcastle in, in the UK, and I was straight into working as a planning consultant on the front line, working property developers, uh, on large-scale residential and commercial schemes, on rezoning submissions, on um, a whole range of infrastructure projects, and also working as a consultant for local authorities in Ireland. And people may recall the 2000s in Ireland was the, the middle of what we now look back and call the Celtic Tiger property bubble and boom. And uh, we were just moving along as planning consultants is all I ever knew as a planner working in planning. It was all about development. It was all about new, new stuff. And um, it was all an exciting time in urban regeneration, dockland regeneration. Uh, you know, Ireland had never experienced the scale of growth, which, uh, which we, we had given our history. And, um, you know, that was the narrative. That was a discourse at the time. We, we, we didn't question it. Then in 2009, it all went spectacularly bust. And um, from the years 2009-2014, Ireland had a massive recession. Um, it, um, we had the IMF bailout. We had um, it was a very uh, febrile time in Ireland with lots of uh, emigration. And planning was very much fingered and pointed at as being one of the main culprits and causes of this calamitous collapse. And uh, so that got me thinking during that period of time, I became redundant myself, lost my job in the private consultancy. I was fortunate, I'd been doing a lot of um, activism and background work for the Irish Green Party 
in policy because all the way during that period, my original undergraduate was in environmental resource management before I went into planning. So I've always been an environmentalist at heart and I always very, felt very uncomfortable about some of the things that I was required to manner. So um, during that period of time, I was fortunate enough that the Green Party got the ministerial post for planning and climate change. And I got the opportunity to work at the highest level of government um, working on planning legislation, reform of the planning system in the context of the, the collapse of the deregulatory era of the Celtic Tiger. And uh, so that's what started to get me to think about uh, post-growth planning. I started thinking during that period of time, difficult now looking back at it, the scale of the crisis that we had at that time, given the, the many crises. But um, it was just, you know, I started to think then about this is more of a paradigmatic issue we need to address here with climate change, because I was working on the climate change brief and somehow you know, the idea of growth and addressing our emissions seemed to be incongruous and there's a distance between them. So I started to think then about post-growth planning. Yeah, obviously it was a massive crisis impacting on, uh, on you, uh, also on your colleagues. If we look back from today, we are still not there that post-growth planning is an established way of thinking. So if you look back at the past 10, 15 years, what about your colleagues from these times? Did you observe harsh reactions or some support or did they change their thinking after the crash times and then the recoveries and and maybe back to growth as normal? It was, it was really interesting because nobody was really ready to have these conversations. The prevailing narrative around planning at the time was how do we readjust our priorities to meet the prevailing um, economic rationalities and values of the day. So it was all about getting back to growth. I remember actually vividly being asked to attend a conference and I wanted to talk about post-growth planning because I started reading into degrowth literature at the time. I started reading into like limits to growth and all of these ideas. It was a very, as I said, febrile time in Ireland. I was going to a lot of conferences around collapse dynamics. The issue around energy was big then. Peak oil was, was very much on the agenda given the huge high oil prices that had been in the run-up to the crises. So these ideas were very much um, uh, floating around, but not really in the mainstream. The, the mainstream narrative was how do we get back to growth? And I remember actually in 2014, there was a big conference in Irish planning on and I was asked to attend it but I, I, I didn't end up being asked to speak because I wanted to speak about these ideas and it was kind of the, the title of it was um, was 50 years of planning time to lead the change and plan for growth so it was just getting back to the same narrative and then in the subsequent years since then we've had a massive upsurge in in in, in kind of new growth orientated uh, planning policies in Ireland around housing because one of, the con one of the consequences of the collapse was a complete collapse in new housing construction to such an extent that we've got a massive housing crisis today because nobody was building houses during those years of, of, of recession. So now the planning system was all about uh, returning to growth, development, we need more housing, supply, supply, supply is the dominant narrative. And if you challenge that in those intervening years, I think at the time there was a great paper I read about, you know, this was the end of, the end of planning as we've known it, but actually it was the it was it was the continuation of um, business as usual. Kind of neoliberalism neoliberalism tends to emerge on phase from these crises. So and so really it it, it, remains, it remained a kind of fringe discourse within within the planning debate. Yeah, and in your PhD research at the University of Liverpool, which also brought us into into context some uh, some years ago already. 
you looked also a bit into shrinking cities and um, maybe other context conditions than, than growth. I really got into shrinking cities because at the time when I actually, when I, when I worked, when I, when I, when I started working for the minister, a colleague of mine handed me a, a very short paper by two university pre professors from Rutgers University in the US called, called Frank and Deborah Popper, a husband and wife team, who wrote a book called The Buffalo Commons. And it was a very short paper in the post-carbon reader about the Buffalo Commons and, um, and smart decline or planned shrinkage. And I started reading into this and that got me into the, this whole literature on, 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 on shrinking cities and the, the narratives, especially emerging from the US, et cetera about uh, these ideas um, about how we in these in these spaces where growth has already collapsed there's no what type of narratives and what type of policies are planners using uh, in those spaces um, and this got me thinking because you know a big stream in the degrowth literature is about only in crises do you get opportunity for, for real change and um, so I started, I went to a few conferences in the United States and I visited a few places like um, Buffalo, New York, where there's very small grassroots organizations emerging from the kind of detritus of post-capital, post-industrial development, where there's no investment, where the state is often retreated. And the type of um, narratives they're developing, while well, they're not directly inspired by degrowth thinking, they share many of the, the values of degrowth thinking around the commons, around conviviality, around urban agriculture, around uh, autonomy. Um, and they're very, in the US, it's very, it's a, it can be also very racialized. Patients. It's obviously, it's a class issue there as well. I start thinking about these issues because these are these, these are actual things where they're, where they're starting to influence on, on institutional rationalities and norms in the mainstream. For, you take, for example, you take the Youngstown, plan in the US, um, Youngstown 2010 plan, this was a plan which explicitly recognized that the population of the city was going to decline. And the plan was built around uh, decline rather than uh, growth. Um, so that's when I started getting into these, these issues around the, the, the crossovers between, between those two as shrinkage as a kind of a practical application of Degrowth. Yeah, in my experience, also in Detroit, I've observed that there is a lot of different alternative practices from civil society support, basically where the state has fully retreated, but that there is still a very deeply entrenched growth policy at large parts of the state level and public policy level, including partly planning, as long as it's still there. Um, what would you say? How could it help to? Uh, benefit from shrinking cities as some kind of living lab to learn also for change within public policy, within established planning processes. So to, to scale up a bit from these niches, from these great civil society initiatives, commons and so forth that we see emerging in these situations. Yeah, you're 100% you're right. There's a kind of this niche regime gap, uh, which which is, I think, omnipresent in, 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 in everything we do. You know what I mean? There's, there's always been these criticisms of grassroots relocalization initiatives that they don't scale up to a kind of a macro alternative. And there is criticisms, of course, about shrinkage planning, shrinking planning, um, who authors who have criticized is just a kind of a, the next iteration of creative destruction to regentrify, to, to, to uh, recommodify elements of that people as these, as these new, as these kind of grassroots initiatives start to take hold, the areas start to become 
attractive again for capital and then move back in. And this is, you know, that seesaw dynamics of, 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 of um, disinvestment, reinvestment, um, you know, going back to the kind of Marxist political economy critiques of, of urbanization. But I suppose for me, it's just those moments, those brief transitionary moments of time where within the kind of um, the dynamics of capital accumulation of urban, urban the urbanization of capital, these moments appear, which are very much fleeting, um, but there is opportunities in those cracks to think about new ideas for planning. And I think if we can, as, as I think one of the roles that we have is to try and grab hold of those ideas and scale them up as best we can into kind of, to try and influence academia, trying to influence policy in alternative ways of thinking about what the city could be. So I think, yes, the, the criticisms are absolutely valid. And, and sometimes I think it's naive to think that this could be scale up to an, an alternative, a kind of a macro alternative, as I said, uh, and influence the wider regime. But I think that's our job as academics is to try and, is to try and develop those discourses. Yeah, that, that brings me to kind of a very interesting question, the role of us as academics working on post-growth into, into planning and the way also maybe the freedom we have to rethink alternatives uh, that might um, be relevant for planning practice in the future. In some in an email conversation beforehand, you wrote that if academia developed alternative concepts, planning could be different. How would you see this, the role of academia to maybe think about these alternatives, propose them? So how far should we go? How far can we go? Or activists can we maybe be as, as academics? Well, I think, I mean, it's a really difficult question. And I think it's one that's, that's many active scholars um, have grappled with for, for many decades as to how we, how, how we bring these ideas from the margins, from the peripheries into the mainstream. And I think one of the issues, what, what, what drew me to the crisis, urban collapse conditions of shrinking cities, as I said, it's really only in crises that these issues um, start to, 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 to surface. We even saw it during the COVID pandemic, how some of these issues started to emerge and uh, become more mainstream, although that seems to have closed again now as the pandemic has receded from our consciousness somewhat. Um, but there's an all wider issue around crises, the, the unfolding global crisis that we have around climate change, around energy, um, all of these issues. But there's somewhat of a creeping normalcy we don't really see these crises directly in front of our faces. So I think um, I, I think that's that I think maybe in the context of the, the unfolding crises, that I think, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Milton Freeman, but one of the one of the quotes he had was that only in crisis real or perceived that these opportunities um, come to the fore. But also it depends on what ideas are lying around at the time. And I think as academics, we have to be the incubators for these ideas and, uh, and and develop them further and try and push them into the mainstream so that we kind of weaken the institutional rationalities that kind of make growth a common sense within 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 um, uh, planning norms. Um, and I was struck in my own research because my research is on the, the development of the national planning framework in Ireland, which is the kind of main national strategic spatial plan of the country. And I'm, I'm going around I'm interviewing um, interviewing hearing players about, about these issues, there is an underlying sense that they understand this dissonance, this contradiction between growth and environment. Um, but they very much fall back into the discourse that we as academics 
kind of propagate around sustainability, around balance, around cohesion. And in my own work at Europe, the European Spatial Planning Observatory Network, I've seen firsthand like how these narratives are actually really influential on what planners do on the ground, although they won't be directly aware of them themselves. Issues around polycentricity, functional urban areas, um, nodes, networks, um, you know, all of these spaces of flows, this kind of market-oriented, competition-driven planning discourses that we use. And I think really, uh, as, as working in ESPON, I, my role is to translate these ideas from like from the European space development perspective into policy and, 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 to, and to translate best practices. So I think as academics, we do have a big role. I think sometimes we say to ourselves, we're not having any influence, but actually I think we underestimate the level of influence that we actually have, albeit many planners are not fully aware of, of where these ideas are coming from. Do you maybe have a guess why uh, there is maybe a lack of diversity of different thoughts of these alternatives that can be, can be offered and could also then be taken up uh, more directly by politics, by policymakers, especially as you're also working at the national strategic level. So not only at the very local level of a small neighborhood where it's, let's say, more straightforward to think of some change, some alternative way of organizing it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I think to, to a huge degree, and I think one of your previous podcasts, and even by Professor John Barry, talked about academic research and the, the need for um, heterodox, more heterodox thinking within academic research. And like, I remember, and like, you know, I mean, it was some time ago now when I came out of university, you know, it was all about consensus. It was all about um, urban regeneration, kind of, um, exciting urbanization, constant development. It was all about these ideas. Um, we didn't think, and maybe, you know what I mean, nowadays it's a little bit different around the issues that we face around climate change, et cetera. But we didn't think in these terms. We didn't think about philosophy and um, uh, depoliticization, the politics of planning. It was very much seen as a kind of value neutral um, uh, development. We are technocratic. Uh, there's no ideology involved here. This is good planning, bad planning, you know, issues around sprawl, etc. And we didn't really get into the weeds of, of, of why, 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 why we're doing what we're doing. And I think there's a big role for academia in kind of in, in getting those ideas across to students so that they're more critical when they go into, um, into the real world of work. Because I can only speak from my perspective, you know, I went straight into the world of work, working as a commercial planner. And it wasn't until I went back to do a PhD some years later that I started to really understand exactly what I had been doing for the previous 10 years. Now, maybe this is an insoluble problem. It's difficult to get young students maybe to think they need that period in, in practice so you can look back and see why you've been doing things the way you've been doing things. But it wasn't until I had the opportunity later to do a PhD that I could really delve into these, kind of this, these ideas and thinking. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. I think it's a difficult one. Um, but I do think that as, as academics, we need to be more provocative. And you know, what is planning for at the end of the day? It's about you know, creating a better society. And we know we're probably one of the first generations in human history where we actually know broadly what's going to happen in the future if emissions keep rising the way they are. Um, yet we're kind of a, we're incarcerated by a very short-term myopic kind of culture around uh, growth because we feel like we need to be relevant to debates so 
yeah, if I look into my experience, again, especially around climate change, there is a certain awareness by most or nearly all planners, certainly also in academia. But then the argument easily surfaces, uh, yeah, we all want to do that, but uh, it's local, regional, national politics, so it doesn't get through to politics. Do you have an idea how this this works or what can help maybe to reach further in this way to avoid that it's all put to politics, nothing to do, and then how can change happen? Yeah, I think it's very, it's, I mean, this is, I mean, there's, there's, it's it's important not to be overly idealistic as to the extent that we as planners can change the world. And um, we can do certain things and we are we are very important. And sometimes I think we underestimate how important we, we, we are. But I, I, when I was doing interviews with planners in Ireland around this issue, I would try and puncture their kind of rationalities using kind of degrowth thinking around the contradictions between so growing the population of Ireland, a small country of 5 million people by a million people, which is the current plan. And how would that sit with our, 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 our um, objectives to reduce emissions to net zero by 2050? And people can instinctively see those two things are at loggerheads. You know, um, planners definitely said that to me. It's like, these two things are not reconcilable. Um, and while you push them further, you say, well, could we think about planning a bit differently? they generally always fall back into the kind of sustainable development mantra, technological modernization, eco-modernization. We can, we can, you know, if we build denser, we can reduce emissions. Um, and if you keep pushing them further about concrete emissions and how does that work with, with uh, you start to, you can see that these issues start to, to kind of fray at the edges in terms of the, the discourse. But nevertheless, as a professional planners working on the front line, working in, in, um, in, 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 in local authorities or in private practice, it's very difficult for them to, to articulate these ideas, even if they were to demure, they, they, they often talk about their careers being at risk, they couldn't say these things. Um, so it is a very difficult challenge. And I think what we knew, uh, to come back to the point, I think as academics, we need to be um, propagating and disseminating different discourses about what planning could be. Um, you know, I did a paper for ESPON around shrinking regions in Europe because we have a lot of depopulations, in, especially in Eastern Europe, where it's it's a it's a demographic crisis. And you know, why don't why, what rather than trying to go for growth in these regions, why don't we think about these regions differently? That they could we could plan for, you know, greater ecosystems. Um, um, you know, these areas being rewilded somewhat. Um, ideas around nature restoration. Well, there's less people living there but they have a better quality of life, they have better income. Um, but you know, I, I fully appreciate that this is, we're at the very kind of bottom of the, the, the mountain here. And there's a lot that needs to be done as academics to, to kind of build up these ideas and for, for, to try and get them into the mainstream. Yeah, planning that could be different. Uh, we are both working, working on that. Uh, and I'm sure we will continue working on that. And in this part of the debate, Towards the end of the podcast, we always ask uh, our guests to give a definition of post-growth planning. Post-growth planning is. So, Gavin, uh, to get to the very end, uh, can you finish the sentence, post-growth planning is? I would say my, my definition would, would be post-growth planning is the decolonization from the ideology of growth. Um, and where we not start to need to deconstruct 
this you know constant obsession that planning is not about growth you know the basic dictionary definition of planning is not about growth it's about setting a chart and coursing a chart for the future and it's all about whether or not what values you want to impart as a planning profession whether it's about commodification um, development um, constant expansion or is it about quality of life social values ecological values living in common um, these ideas about living making peace with nature um, so I think these are the ideas that that I think post-growth planning should be about and hopefully will be about thank you Gavin Uh, thank you for taking us uh, along into your thoughts, into your research, into your ex long experience in Ireland, in the UK, and also by looking abroad into the US and other contexts. So let's continue the journey towards more diversity within research and also towards more defined post-growth planning that can also then find its way into practice. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much for having me.